Welcome to the Business of Agriculture, a podcast created to enlighten, inspire, and inform those who work in or depend on the world's most important endeavor, agriculture. Here's your host, Damian Mason. Greetings. Hey, thanks for joining us here on the Business of Agriculture. It's me, your host, Damian Mason, but you already knew that. You heard it in the introduction. This episode, as so many episodes prior to it, uh, is brought to you by my good friends at Harvest Profit. You can check out harvestprofit.com and learn more about their product. But if you listen to the Business of Agriculture, you know what I tell you. Nick Horab, the founder of this company, sat out and a few years ago and he said, I'm a business guy and I see a need for a better software solution for agricultural enterprises. So he invented this company, Harvest Profit, <clears throat> helps you manage your inputs and your outputs. You can manage the, the dollars on each farm. So you actually understand where your money is, what your flows look like. Hey, it's for the business side of your enterprise. Take care of it. You do the hard work, do the easy work of getting the right software, harvestprofit.com. Uh, this business of agriculture podcast, uh, like we've been doing all of them since January, is a video as well as an audio. So we've got a video. You can go to YouTube and check out my stuff. Go to the Damian Mason channel. It's D Mason Comedy, and you can subscribe. Got a great show for you today because I got a guy on here I actually like. And if you know me, you know I don't like very many people, but I actually like this guy. His name is Ryan Moe. He's an Iowa dude, went to Iowa State, got a finance degree, uh, has an agricultural sort of background. So he decided, hey, let's go ahead and go into the ag side. He's with Stone X Financial Group, an ag advisory company in Minneapolis, Minnesota. He's going to tell you more about that. We're going to talk about grain, the international economy as it pertains to agriculture. We're going to talk about meat. We're going to talk about the future. Ryan Moe, welcome to the business of agriculture. Hey, thanks, Damien. Appreciate that. Well, give it to me. I, uh, I I gave you the warm up. I gave these people a little bit of an idea what to expect, and here we are. Well, typically the uh, the progress from here would be that I'd start with about a seventy five minute PowerPoint presentation full of a bunch of data points that everybody's seen a hundred times. Uh, not allow any time for any questions because you know that's that's part of the excitement of watching an economist speak would be that they don't allow for any questions. They've bored everybody to tears after about an hour. And uh, yeah, power, death by PowerPoint is what I heard one broker call it one time. So yeah, so here's the deal. That's not the direction you want to go, right? I don't think so, not this time. Uh, so what we always promised our people in the Business of Agriculture podcast is we don't do grain charts because let's face it, these guys have that on their phone. You know, every man and woman in agriculture right now can just take their phone out of their pocket and type yep. in CME group and see what's happening on the board. And then they can type in their local three elevators that probably they send them daily updates on what cash prices are on commodities. We don't do grain charts. We do big picture outlook about the business side. And so dear listener, to give you a little background, Ryan and I met uh, with some uh, online work I was doing with South Dakota Bankers Association. I was doing some online work, virtual meetings, and Ryan was one of their uh, guest presenters. And I really liked his angle about the future and the present. So I think to get into that, if we're going to talk about international economics and what we think is going to happen on agriculture. Let's talk more importantly about what you do. Why would you know this stuff? What do you do, Ryan? So here at Stonex in Minneapolis, our, our goal is to work on the business side of farming because, you know, farming is fun, but the business side of farming isn't so much fun. The, business, the, the getting out and 
letting the big toys eat and doing all the kind of farming. Like the farming that grandpa used to do is a lot of fun, but this isn't grandpa's sleepy grain company anymore. Uh, the farm, the modern day farm of 2020 is a multi-million dollar multinational enterprise, even though it's been in your farm family for four or five generations. And, you know, when people, when you tell that to people, they don't necessarily like to believe that. But then when you start looking at the asset uh, accumulation that folks have out there, getting to a million dollars in agriculture isn't very, isn't very hard, right? I mean, because right. it's just such a capital intensive business. So whether people want to admit it or not, we're dealing with multi-million dollar enterprises. And then when people say, well, I'm not a multinational uh, organization because we've never really farmed outside of the county even. So what that, what's that make us as a multinational uh, organization to which my next response is, well, how did, how did tariffs impact you over the last year and a half, two years? So now you're sitting at a level where international incidents really truly do matter to what's going on at the township level in agriculture. So we want to work with people from the business side of things because we can't just operate like grandpa and grandma where we work harder and things just we need to be able to be very intelligent with what's going on and the overall business landscape of things. So that's what our goal is with StoneX is to take top level financial products and financial services into the underserved middle market. And I, I firmly believe that with all of the tools and everything that's available out there today, rural America isn't getting the same look at these programs and products that Wall Street or what they're getting in downtown Chicago is getting to look at. So that's what we do. We I take agree with you wholeheartedly about that. I agree wholeheartedly with that. And by the way, about your thing about the international component of it, a uh, guy that rents my farmland, uh, knows a couple thousand cows, dairy guy, uh, a couple of years ago, and I referenced this in my book, Do Business Better. I said, um, you know, there's a guy that doesn't just look at uh, uh, the thing like maybe grandpa looked at their dairy operation. He actually says, yeah, I, I'm going to, Grant, I'm from Holland, but I'm a U.S. citizen now. And he says, um, when I look at what's happened in New Zealand, I got to think about what that means for our prices. Because remember, New Zealand converted, used to be a sheep country, became a dairy country, especially with the rise of China. So then New Zealand's got all this pasture-based dairy production. They're powdering milk then and shipping it to China. Does that affect a guy in Huntington, Indiana? Yeah. Yeah, it does. And then like you said, not to mention there's the issue of... um, of the immigration. Those are international arguments between us and New Ma- and uh, the country of Mexico. About two thirds of production, hired production workers in the United States of America are here illegally. <laughs> between half and two and two thirds, you know, so um, it, it's, it's, a, it's definitely an international business. So you've got these ag people and you say, all right, you've got a couple thousand acres here in Minnesota or anywhere, and I want to help you uh, make money. How do you do it? Uh, I mean, it starts with the profit per acre, right? You know, we start dialing into that. Then we also have our wealth management group, which also takes into consideration, you know, the wealth transfer, the generational transfer of wealth. How do you do that to get everybody happy is a hard word on that one, but satisfied from that perspective, you know, uh, grandma might have a different idea as to what a successful transition of wealth would be. She might believe that everybody getting together for Thanksgiving after they're gone is success, where grandpa might want the uh, farm to continue to 
grow at 15% a year for the next 45 years after they're gone. So how do we go ahead and balance what everybody wants versus what everybody needs, how that transition goes? That's all part of the business today. It's a very, very complex business in agriculture as it sits today. And there's no simple answer and not one answer works for every single family. So it's, it's all customized. It's all, everybody has a one-off, everybody has a, a different set of needs. And so that's what the whole program is about. It's about getting the best financial professionals, whether it's with our company or with somebody else's company in the hands of our client. So that way they can get the services that a multi-million dollar organization truly needs in this day and age. Your specialty, your expertise, you were on with the South Dakota Banker Association, the event that you and I both worked for virtually, a virtual meeting, and you talked about grain, and again, we're not going to do grain charts, but you talk about grain, and we talk about international economics, and I know we're going to get into that. We talked about meat, which is uh, a topic that you and I both want to cover, and we talked about the future. So let's go with grain first. Uh, you had some points about grain. Uh, June 30th, here we are, you and I recording this uh, toward the end of July. So the next USDA crop report comes out sometime in what, third week of August, mid-August maybe? I don't know. Yeah, about that. I mean, we can get – there's a lot of people that are extremely specific into the details, and Damien, I think you and I can agree 1% here, 2% there. People are fixated on the wrong things. I mean, people are chasing those pennies and try and chasing those little tiny increments and trying to get, you know, the details all the while, you know, the, the forest behind them is on fire. Yeah. <laughs> How do we get people to stop focusing not only on like the, the you know, people are, oh, like, you know, you can't see the forest through the trees. We find ourselves in agriculture oftentimes focusing on the leaves that are falling off of the trees while the whole damn thing is burning down, right? And so people get fixated on whether it's the market or whether it's a piece of agronomic data or if it's, you know, new equipment, new technology. Everybody kind of has their forte that they love to deal with. And so if we fixate upon, well, we're, I think the corn yield is going to be 179 and a half. And then somebody else says, I think it's going to be 180. And we spend the next two hours arguing about that. My yeah. argument is that's less than a percent. Does that matter? Oh, yeah, see, that's, that's what's funny. And when you were doing the presentation online when I was part of that, and I thought, this is so dead on. We always talked about, I, I came from, uh, my parents were blue-collar-minded, hardworking people. They were not business-minded people. No offense, just what they were. And um, it was always the old thing of, why not, if you're going to send Damien out there to work for 12 hours a day, if you invested $100 in the right tools, I could be, I could make that $100 up in one day. <laughs> so it's the old thing about, you know, you, you're breaking your back, you know, dropping dollars to pick up dimes. When we start festering over this, and I find it interesting also, you know, I'm an ag econ guy and you and I, that's why we, we started talking about this. Whether there's 92.4 million acres or something or 91.6, what the hell are we really talking about here? You know, a million acres on a 92 is about 1.3%, 1.4%. Okay, does it matter? Yeah, it's a million acres, but it's also a percent. And there's probably ag people, like you said, that are sitting around festering over this, over coffee. It's like, maybe it's just more important to figure out how to get 1% more out of your operation and versus what the, the USDA report is. 
or it rains one night and you capture that whole 1% back. Yeah. I mean, that's, I don't want to, I don't want to undervalue what a lot of great economists do to the, to the industry, but we've all done it to where we fixate on something and we, we drill down and we, and we drill down because it's our way of kind of hiding from what else is going on. And that's, that's why we, when we talk about the margin per acre, that's why it's absolutely critical because, because chasing a market is what we want our clients to ignore. And we want to start chasing a margin. And that's, that's a, that's a lot different type of surgery when you're chasing margins with scalpel versus trying to chase markets and uh, economics, you know, on an overall broad base scale. So, you know, I, I look at that when people start arguing about the last, you know, half million acres here, half million acres there. I mean, that's, that's surgery with a scalpel when oftentimes, you know, a machete would go ahead and, <laughs> Right. Okay. So speaking of grains and, and all that, I like that chasing margins versus chasing markets, because you can't win chasing markets, but chasing margins is obviously what will keep you in business through the, the thin and the thick. Uh, grains, what do we need to know? I'm, I'm going to talk about price and all that. We got plenty of it. Uh, some of my followers get mad at me because I said two years ago, hey guys, the China tariffs is not the reason that soybeans are cheap. Soybeans are cheap because the world has lots of soybeans. No, we had trade. And I said, it's still an international global marketplace. If, 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 if there weren't enough, beans would be high, tariff or no tariff, because we'd sell them to somewhere and they'd sell them to China. It don't matter. We got plenty of grain. Uh, the globe has plenty of grain. Going to stay that way? Yeah, I mean, when you look at, when you look at the production sectors of the world, uh, there's, there's lots of foodstuffs and feedstuffs being grown all over the globe. Uh, during all months of the calendar as well. And so to expect a crop shortage and a crop failure somewhere, of course, we always want that to happen to a neighbor and somebody else, not us, right. you know, um, you know, for, to expect that to go ahead and be the savior of our operation is asking a little bit too much because you're going to have to have a crop failure in different hemispheres back to back almost. Okay. Yes, it can happen, but depending on the viability of your, if your if your business is dependent upon that, it's a pretty fragile business model that do, probably doesn't have long term staying power. I just saw my neighbor yesterday. We were talking about some agricultural stuff. He's a farm guy, and uh, he told me he was optimistic we were going to see uh, crop prices take a bump. And I said, "What would change?" So I'm going to ask you the same question because I don't see that. But uh, what would change? What's going to make? Well, that I mean, I do. I mean, to be friendly on corn here, I mean, so we're sitting here in the second half of July right now. The, about the only thing that ever matters in the second half of July when you're talking about grain markets is weather, right? I mean, we are in, I mean, this is the weather market, right? And so when you're looking at what the, the big fund money is trading and the flow of that fund money, what they are looking at is they are looking at weather forecasts on a daily basis. And you can actually see as the models become updated at certain periods in the morning, you can, you can see trade flows that are guided by those from an algorithmic standpoint. So we're sitting here in a weather market. There's absolutely no denying that when we have hot and dry weather in the, uh, in the extended forecast, the markets and the funds react according to. Okay. So the point is I'm, I'm, I was talking longer term. Oh, longer when term. I get to oh, December of this year, what's going to change? I don't see anything. 
Uh, yeah, longer term, it's difficult to say anything. I mean, this crop is in very good shape as it sits right now. But longer term, what we, I mean, when you're starting to look at the international marketplace and what is happening in other places in the world, let's take Brazil, for example. Uh, you're dealing in a circumstance where the Brazilian farmer is having the best year in their history. You know, we're talking about returns on investment. I was talking to my Brazilian team uh, earlier today they're talking about a return on soybean acres, a return on investment of 60%. And you're looking at corn, you're looking at corn at 80% ROI. I mean, these are tremendous returns, whereas here in the US, I mean, if, if we catch a powerful yield, a lot of acres are break even at best right now. I mean, and you're looking at a farmer, and one thing I've noticed about commodity uh, producers and I, most people would consider me a rookie in this industry still because I've only been doing it 16 years. Uh, so one thing I've noticed about commodity producers, I don't care if you're producing oil, if you're producing gold, if you're producing sheep, if you're producing dairy, all producers are the same, which is, it, the producers are producers are producers in that what do they do if they make a whole bunch of money? Go out and buy more ground and size up so and produce more. Invest in, invest in more production. And when you're looking at some of the disadvantages that we have here in the U.S. that are of absolutely no fault of our own, you're looking at a Brazilian real. So just to take this kind of math, for example, when, when the Brazilian farmer planted his soybean crop last year, the Brazilian real was trading at a, at a four to one ratio. When that farmer harvested those soybeans, the Brazilian real was trading five to one. That's a 25% bump in, in, in return based purely upon currency volatility. Okay, so real quickly, because I, uh, I'm a currency uh, novice and there are people on here that aren't currency people at all. So that's what I was gonna ask you. All right, we're not making any money on our soybean and corn crop. In the Brazil, they are. And first off, their inputs are less. Their inputs are the same, but their land input is less. Their land input is less, but back to the comment about what does a farmer do when a farmer makes a, you know, a windfall profit. They he goes go and buys property. And they go buy property. So uh, land values in Brazil, they, they are increasing. And okay. so looking at those types of circumstances, it's not that they're going out and just tearing down rainforest and expanding acres. Yes, they're expanding acres, but the value of the acres that are close to the existing operations are going up in value. Okay, so it's a little bit of land value, but the other real reason why Brazil farmers are being more profitable, it's gonna be a, a challenge for American farmers is because the it's currency, our dollar yes. is strong and the Brazilian real is weak. weak. Is that the way we look yeah. at it? Yeah, and that, I mean, so just think back about how things were going for uh, commodity production in 2008 when the US dollar was really struggling versus the euro. And just think about a, a bearish dollar is very bullish for commodities. Yes. That's something that's very important to note. And when you're looking at the US being the most stable currency in the world right now because of a lot of different reasons, but a lot of it has to do with other countries are handling things more poorly than, than, than we are that's a scenario that there's nothing that we can do here because commodities are traded in dollar denominated currencies around, you know, dollar denominations 
all over the world. So the U.S. dollar, it, that's that being as, as strong as it is or as stable as it is, is it's 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 a very difficult handicap to overcome for the U.S. producer. Okay, so that brings me to the next point. So you're an agricultural company. I'm out here listening to the business of agriculture. I'm driving my Ford F-150 through Kansas right now. I sell. Uh, I sell chemistry for BASF. I'm in uh, California and I'm in the citrus business. I'm in, uh, you know, the Southeast and I'm in the dairy business. What's this mean to me? The fact that Brazil is making a whole bunch of money uh, on ag and we're not. And what's funny is we're all dealing with the same prices. It's just that their, their currency is, and a little bit of their expenses is the reason. What are we doing? What, what's, what are we to do? Well, I mean, you just have to, you know, consider that in the conversation when, when folks are, talking about land prices skyrocketing here in the U.S. Uh, for farmland, and they're saying, well, well they're, never, they're not making any more of it. Well, that's not true, because they are in other parts of the world. And so you're sitting there in the commodity space, and in a commodities trade, you know, the, the definition of a commodities trade is the lowest value wins, right? And if they're able to go ahead and produce at lower values than what we are, you know, what are the other things that American producers do great? We are the most reliable producers in the we have the, you know, the best technology as it sits today. Yep. We are also extremely reliable. And so there's different things that we here in the U.S. do that do deserve premiums, but it's not the premiums that are going to justify. It's not premiums to a point where it's going to justify uh, extreme price moves higher here in the U.S. So from a commodity perspective, but, it, you know, it's what is it that we do great and how is it that we can do that and then separate ourselves from, uh, from competitors around the world. And that's, that's tough to answer if you're raising number two yellow corn and other play players in the world are raising only number two yellow corn. Mm -hmm. So it's what else can you do other than, well, we're just going to raise more number two yellow corn. Is there specialty products? Is, you know, what are we, are we feeding it? You know, it's just, that's a very difficult question to answer. Yeah. So I have been, uh, and I have some of my people that keep up with my stuff and I, I'm very fortunate. I make a living out here being a commentary guy and a speaker guy and I'm a, an ag guy and a farm guy, but I, um, I've gone against the grain a few times, Ryan, I've said, Hey, we're, we're at a point where the world has enough corn and the world has enough soybeans. And then that's when people say, Oh, about the trade. And I say, uh, it's not the reason. And I said, we're going to, have to realize that we need to continue to create more of these oddball value added products because there is a marketplace for them. So that's kind of what you just said right there, because um, we've got the, we've got the commodity thing down pretty well. Yeah. I mean, it's, there's nothing wrong with specialty. You know, there's nothing wrong with, uh, you know, there's nothing wrong with, you know, there being specialized markets that you're serving, you know, there, that's, there's opportunities there. It's different than being, you know, broad-based commodity uh, producer, and it's not, and it, and it's also diversification, right? And that's that's something. Go ahead, I think you were to say something. Well, I'm going to say you know, uh, the, the point is, do you see a day when uh, we see more of this stuff that American-made matters? Is it? Uh, I mean, because trade, you know, we're talking about the outlook. International stuff is not good right now. We've become more isolationist. Does American-made agriculture matter? I think American made does matter. So like when you're talking about what, when you're talking about food brands around the world that matter, I mean, 
the United States is still the best producer for those places. I mean, again, we've got quality. We've got, I mean, and it's, it's guaranteed quality. So when you uh, ask a, you know, somebody that's going from lower class to middle class, the first thing that they want to do is eat better. And if they go from middle class to upper middle class, they want to eat American, you know what I mean? So there's definitely some value in the brands that we have here in the United States. And there's definitely value in that food producer in the United States because we're trusted and that's important. And we want to maintain that trust. That's very, very important. And that's something that I, I think is part of the future of ag as we start to see more farmers diversify out. I want to ask you about that in a second. By the way, I missed my middle spot where I'm supposed to remind you that the business of agriculture is brought to you by my good friends at Harvest Profit. You can go to harvestprofit.com and get a 14-day free trial. And you're saying, but what is Harvest Profit? It's a software solution for your agricultural enterprise that will help you become more profitable, manage your inputs, your outputs, your inflows. You can manage farm by farm. It's a great product. And you can even get a 14-day free trial by going to harvestprofit.com. Go there, tell them Damian Mason sent you. I got off my game because I'm sitting here watching my man, Ryan, and he was looking down at his phone because he's got another meeting. And the thing is, we would have been plenty in time on on uh, recording this meeting. He couldn't get his he couldn't get his computer. No, I yeah, that's that's my fault. I'm sorry. Yeah, that, I uh, mean this technology thing where it's it's not working out, and I, hey. I do it myself. Hey, you know what? Maybe far younger and far smarter people than me handling these things. I think we all need an IT guy just to follow us around and just fix stuff that we can't. All right. Look into the future. First off, I can tell you a couple things about the future. They're already saying that we're going to eat less meat globally by a few percent. Well, you know what? During the recession of 09 to 014, we dropped 10% on our pounds of meat just here in America during the recession. I cover that in my book, Food Fear. Dear listener, dear viewer, you should pick up your copy if you haven't already. But these are some little things that we see. Looking at the future, big picture here. You're the economics guy. You've already got, you manage your farmers. What's going to happen? All right, I'll give you a few predictions. Um, the idea that, that uh, prices are going to go uh, way up, I don't, uh, I don't think that's going to happen. Are we going to have a bunch of farmers going broke like the media loves to go? I don't think so. Not so much. International things are going to be a challenge because of the trade and also because of the great discrepancy. Brazil is killing it right now, and we're not because of the currency. Those are my big picture product, uh, predictions and thoughts. Yours. So there's there's a billion people in certain parts of the world that don't have great access to all of when, all of the I'm talking energy, I'm talking food energy, protein. So they don't have access to U.S. food energy and U.S. protein. You know, and that's one thing that I've always really taken a look at the dependence upon one customer. You know, our dependence upon the well-being of China and therefore the, the, the bullishness that China brings to us is, is kind of at risk. You know, if you've got one customer your business model has some fragility to it, right? And when China was growing at an excess of 10% per year GDP growth, yeah, yeah it's, it's great because we want to go ahead and feed all of that. Now, looking here domestically as, a, as, a carniv- as an honored carnivore here in uh, myself, I don't think it's possible for me to eat any more pork, beef, or chicken. I mean, if I, I don't, I can't add a fourth meal of it. I mean, I eat it for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Um, And so therefore, if uh, if, if I eat another pork burger, that's not in me and my 330 counter, 330 million counterparts here in the U S that still doesn't add the demand to which we can totally supply. 
Now, there's places in Africa that are not easy to get to. I'll admit that. I mean, they are, they're, it is very challenging getting to those areas. But if we're looking at where, you know, our associations should be trying to uh, create trade opportunities, there's places there that have demands for our protein and for the energy that we can produce here in the Midwest. We can feed the world here in the Midwest. We can't. We have the ability to supply as much food and as much energy and as much protein as we need in this world. We, we just need to be allowed to do it. But that's where it's just like, how do we access those markets better? And that's what I'd like to focus on. So that way we've got several more customers other than just, hey, what's China doing? What's China doing? What's China doing? Because that's, that, that's a big risk to a business model if you're dependent upon one giant customer all the time. This is another reason you and I get along, Ryan. I have said it on this podcast a number of times. And I said, we got so fixated, which became very lazy. You know, they became very lazy, like, uh, you know, uh, we go out and just do what we do. And I'm not saying farmers are lazy. I'm just saying they got very lazy because then it became, well, China's going to buy all of our crap. So let's just go out and produce. China's going to buy all of our crap. We didn't cultivate new customer base. Now there's a challenge. Oh, by the way, and the point that I make, one of my favorites, when you owe the bank a million dollars, the bank owns you. When you owe the bank a hundred million dollars, you own the bank. That's an old statement. There's some truth to that about China. When China's your only customer, they own you because we got really comfortable, almost lulled into a sense of security there. And here we are. Think about Africa. This is your last point before we look at the future. Are they ever going to have the money? Now, granted, we've got some shining stars. You, you know, you can say, well, South Africa's got a big economy. Well, South Africa has such tremendous domestic problems. That that's going to be an issue. You got maybe like Kenya that's kind of growing, but still basically a third world country with a few bright spots. Does Africa as a continent have enough promise in your lifetime as a 40-year-old, my lifetime as a 51-year-old? Are they going to be our customer? Any of those countries going to really rise up in the next five years and be our customers? But, I mean, you, you can't look at it because you're not going to be dealing with one central government. I mean, that's China is 1.2, 1.3, 1. I mean, yeah. 1.4 billion people all under sure. one. Wherever, wherever they're at today, you know, but they're controlled by one central government. So it's a, it's a, you know, it, it's, it's not easier, but you got to go, you go after one target there. Sure. I mean, there's dozens of countries over there and there's, I mean, it's, it's not, a this this is not a simple goose to cook right and it's a very complex animal that we're going to be dealing with over there and it's not going to be this is going to be more of a scalpel type effect if you're going to go after uh the opportunities that exist in africa you know and it's and it's not going to be a billion people that are all going to be able to show up at once you know and it's but it's but you know you can start with the concept of gmos and some of the irrational fears that some folks have over there because governments have, you know, already been indoctrinated with this anti-GMO talk. Well, you know, there's some, there's some misinformation that's being dealt out there that is causing a lot of people to go hungry. And so there's some things there. I mean, this is a much deeper conversation than what we've got time to get into uh, today, Damien, but we can start by getting accurate information out there to get out there and show that the food that we are producing here in the Midwest in an extremely large scale with uh, a very, very talented group of producers that can scale up even faster if the demand is there. If we can get those, you know, that information to those people and get them to know that this is the safest food supply in the world, then 
we have a much better chance. So we've got to start with some of those very basic and very simple things, which is just getting the right information out there and getting it into the, into the people, into the right hands of the right people. And if you pay attention, you know that uh, what I know, educating consumers is difficult no matter where. His name is Ryan Moe. He's with Stone X Financial Group, Ag Advisory Company out of Minneapolis, Minnesota. If they want to look you up because they like your commentary or just because they like hearing what you have to say, what, what do they do? Yeah, so I'm uh, email is probably the easiest way. Uh, Ryan.mo at stonex.com. And yeah, that's probably the easiest way. Um, you know, in this day and age, it's just, it's just, that's about the easiest way anymore. If they, uh, okay, more importantly then, and then your last thought, final thought, final observation. I loved your stuff when we were, did our thing, uh, virtual conference there a couple of weeks ago. So final thoughts, final ideas, whatever else you want to send anybody out in the business of agriculture, Ryan's what's in Ryan's head. Let's start operating these businesses like businesses. I mean, it's very important to look at the enterprise that you're operating as a family. And I mean, it's, it's very important to start behaving like a CEO. And those are the folks that are going to be the survivors in the ag space because there's some challenges that are ahead of us. And that's what we want to help people do because, you know, working smart is going to beat working hard in this environment. And that's what we want to do. We want to help people work smart and really go ahead and nail the business side of farming. I like it. I agree with it. I said a long time ago, the go to the shop and hide farmer is going to be going to the shop and hiding as an employee of someone else. That's actually the business person farmer, because uh, putting, putting gangs of disc blades on is uh, one thing, but running the enterprise as a business is more importantly with that in mind. If you want to run your agriculture enterprise like the business that it is, look up my friends at Harvest Profit, harvestprofit.com. They'll give you a 14-day free trial. It's a software solution to help your agricultural enterprise thrive and run like the business that it is. Nick Horb has also great blogs on his, on his website. So when you go there, you can read articles that will help your business as well as try out his product. My guest today was Ryan Moe. Look him up over there at Stonex Financial Group. And he'll probably come back because he's got lots of good stuff to say. Oh, sometimes he says stuff I disagree with, which is fine. You don't have to agree with me. But, yeah, I mean, we can we can arm wrestle a different time, but we'll just start. I don't think we did, but I also start agreeing with everything. And I like all your other. And by the way, his point is well taken, which is why we keep thinking about export. I keep saying value added. We can't eat any more meat in the United States of America per capita by much. So what are we going to do? We're going to have to realize that put some more value on what we are producing and also find some new markets. All right. Hey, you got a meeting to go to, and I'm going to say thank you very much. Until next time, thank you, by the way, Ryan. Hey, Damon. No, thank you very much. Appreciate this and look forward to uh, doing it again sometime. All right. Till next time, it's the business of agriculture. If you've enjoyed this episode of The Business of Agriculture, please share it with your network. Be sure to connect with Damien on LinkedIn, like his Facebook fan page, and follow him on Instagram and Twitter. For speaking inquiries or to purchase Damien's books, Food Fear, or Do Business Better, go to DamienMason.com.